0: These churches are all in one region, modern-day Turkey. And if you look on a map, you see that all these churches are roughly halfway between the two great centers of opposition that the early church faced, Rome and Jerusalem. So the Roman Empire wanted Christians to compromise. You can worship Jesus as God as long as you worship all the other Roman gods as well. And then on the other side is Jerusalem. The Jews wanted Christians to apostatize, give up their faith in Jesus and return back to the Jewish faith. So you see, these early Christians, these seven churches, are caught in the middle, between Jerusalem and Rome, between apostasy and compromise. It's so hard to be caught in the middle, isn't it? on the way here i was walking here and um the good people of winchester they 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 wash their cars on on a sunday and someone was washing their car and i was walking up a hill and you could see the river of water coming down And, and water takes the path of least resistance and so it goes to the left and to the right finding the quickest way down to stay in the middle not to go to the left or the right that is the path of greatest resistance to be caught in the middle such a hard place to be And in some ways, that's how it's always been for the church. We still are caught in the middle. On the one hand, we feel that pressure to compromise. People close to us who say, look, don't take your faith too seriously. Don't be so defined by it. Let other voices and other ideas shape who you are as well. Many of us feel that pressure, don't we? Many Christians, even denominations, have, have given in to, to compromise. We feel that. But then on the other side, we also feel the pressure to apostatize, to turn away from Jesus completely. There is no room for your views in this society, in this workplace, or in this school. There's no room for the ethics of Jesus, for the exclusivity of Jesus. You know, if you want to flourish, if you want to progress in our society, you must ditch Jesus. Feel that pressure, don't we? We are caught in the middle between the pressure to compromise and the pressure to apostatize between Rome and Jerusalem. It's such a hard place to be. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus, via John, shows us something that will keep us going. First, we see Jesus amongst us. So, John starts off by introducing himself. And John is the same John who wrote John's Gospel, one of the twelve disciples of Jesus, one of the great apostles. John is the one who stood by Jesus right at the end when all the others left. John was the apostle who was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was being killed. John was the one who was known as the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, John could have introduced himself and played all of that up, couldn't he? I don't know if you've ever seen the film Anchorman, Ron Burgundy. If you have, you'll know him. A news presenter with a massively high opinion of himself. And he greets people by saying, I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. I'm very important. John was a big deal. He really could have played that line. But look what he says, verse 1. I, John, your brother and companion... John says to those he's writing to, he says to us, I'm not above you. I'm not more important than you. I'm not here to kind of give you lots of advice from the sidelines where you do all the work. No, I'm like you. I'm your brother. I'm your companion. I'm facing exactly what you are facing. And what was that? Verse 1, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance... That are ours in Jesus. John says, "Look, if you follow Jesus Christ, if you have Him at the centre of your life, you'll get these three things: you'll get suffering, or persecution. Persecution because you're caught in the middle, under that pressure to compromise or to apostatize. You'll get suffering." But if you follow Jesus, you'll also get the kingdom of God, life everlasting under the life-giving rule of Jesus. That is yours as well. You'll get suffering. You'll get the kingdom. And finally, you'll get the thing that you need to move from one to the other. From suffering now to kingdom glory then. What will you need? You'll need patient endurance. That is the Christian life patient endurance. There's nothing glamorous about that, is there? Recently I saw the end of a TV program about recruits who wanted to join the SAS, the elite kind of British armed forces, and the final test they have to do is called the long drag. It's a 40-mile hike across the Brecon Beacons with all your gear. And not only that. Not only have you got to walk 40 miles, I mean, give me a year and I might be able to do it, they've got to do it in 20 hours. 40-mile hike in 20 hours. But what's funny is right at the end of this, this hike, this 40-mile hike, just before these recruits got to the finish point, that they started smartening themselves up. They were buttoning up shirts, they were tucking in their tops, putting on their, their berets. They wanted to look smart as they finished the line. As if to say that 40-mile thing, it was Nothing. But the reality was so different as you followed them and watched what they did. It was sweat. It was aching muscles. It was blisters and hobbling and some giving up. There is nothing glamorous about endurance. You know, as Christians, we, we want miracles, don't we? we? We want revivals. We want influence. We want respect. But the reality is for most of us, most of the time, the Christian life is patient endurance. And that's not glamorous. Each day we get up and we do the same thing. We hold on to the teaching of Christ even if the world hates us for it. We obey his teaching even when the world is offended by it. We pray. We care for the sick and the poor amongst us. We love our families and we work hard. We show compassion. We speak of Jesus. We resist the temptation to compromise and we resist the temptation to apostatize and then we get up and we do it all again the next day. If we're going to make it from persecution to kingdom, it's going to mean patient endurance. It's not joyless, the Christian life. It may sound joy; It's not joyless, but it's not glamorous either. Do you know the best thing about these verses? We don't run on our own. Yes, we run with with one another. We run with our brothers and sisters. There's someone else who runs with us. John is given this vision, and look what he sees in verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. John sees seven golden lampstands. Okay, so let's go back into the Old Testament here. What are lampstands? The lampstands come from the temple in the Old Testament. Back in the Old Testament, God instructs his people to build him effectively a palace. A palace where he would dwell with his people. And in this temple, in this divine palace, were lampstands. And they burned brightly. They represented the presence of God. But in John's vision, these lampstands picture something else. In verse 20, Jesus tells us what they are. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. If you were here last week, do you remember? Seven means fullness, completeness, wholeness. These seven churches represent all churches. So John sees the lampstands that represent all the churches blazing brightly. And then he sees something else as well. Verse 13. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The son of man, that's the name that Jesus gives himself, the title that Jesus gives himself in the Gospels. The first vision John has. The first thing he sees right at the beginning of the Revelation is Jesus amongst the lampstands. Jesus in the midst of his churches. He's dressed like a priest. The robe and the sash. that They are priestly garments. In that divine palace in the Old Testament, priests would tend the lampstands. That they would cut the wicks, top them up with oil, ensure they keep blazing brightly. That is what John sees Jesus doing. Jesus walking amongst his churches, tending them, keeping them burning. Like a general on the eve of a battle, walks amongst his troops, encouraging them, giving them final instructions, assuring the fearful so Jesus is walking amongst his churches, encouraging his people and strengthening them. We don't run this race alone. We, we, we run it with Jesus. He is amongst us, helping us patiently endure all things. Now in a moment, we're going to see how it is Jesus does that. First, notice this. Notice when. He does it. When it is, he's walking amongst us. In verse 10, John gives us this, this time marker. He tells us when he sees Jesus amongst the churches. Verse 10, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet. The Lord's day. That's Sunday. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the day the early church gathered to worship Jesus as their Lord and Savior. When does John see Jesus walking amongst his churches to strengthen and encourage and enable them? The Lord's day. Today, when we gather. By his Spirit, Jesus even now is in our midst. is amongst us. That's why we say to to, to new members, people who want to join and and, and become members at Redeemer, of all the meetings we do as a church, of all the gatherings, Sunday morning is by far the most important, more important than our prayer gathering or, or, or our midweeks or our Redeemer theology or Redeemer women. Because it is on the Lord's day that Jesus comes amongst us to strengthen our faith to stop us straying and giving in, to compromise, to keep us enduring. Yes, of course he's with us at all times and other times, but he is especially promised to be with us today, right here, right now, as we gather. So please, please keep gathering with us on a Sunday. Make Sundays a priority in your life, not not for my sake, I don't really care about the numbers who come to Redeemer. In fact, it would be easier, logistically, if there were a few less of you. You know, like I'd just make things that bit easier on a Sunday morning. But I do care about your soul. And I do care about the heart of Redeemer. If our light is going to continue to blaze brightly, if our candle is going to continue to shine, we must gather so that Christ can gather amongst us to encourage and strengthen and call us back. On the Lord's day, as he gathered for worship, John saw Jesus. Jesus amongst his churches, amongst his people, amongst us. Jesus amongst us. What's the second thing we see that helps us patiently endure? Well, it's this, Jesus above us and for us. If you've got one of the sheets, you'll see there's some sub points there which might be quite useful. But also there's some other verses that we're going to look at. So maybe have that open in front of you. Now here's the question. If Jesus is going to come amongst us week by week as we gather, if he's going to help us faithfully endure, how does he do it? What does that look like? Now, I guess we expect words, don't we? We expect Jesus to be saying something to us, encouraging words and challenging words and inspiring words. And as this vision, this revelation unfolds, we will see the words of Jesus. He will say those kind of things to us. But that is not where he starts. What's the first thing John encounters in this vision? It is not Jesus' words. It's not Jesus' voice. It is a picture of the blazing glory of Jesus himself. It's a picture made up of lots of Old Testament images. It is a picture that conveys to us that Jesus is above us and he is for us. We see that in three ways. First, we see it like this, because Jesus is fully God and fully man. When John looks, he sees one who is, verse 13, like a son of man. He sees the man, Christ Jesus, ascended to the heavenly places. But look what else he sees, verse 14. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow had that reading from Daniel 7 earlier, didn't we? Listen again as I read a bit of it to you. Daniel writes, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. The Ancient of Days is God himself, the one true God who sits enthroned above all the earth, the uncreated creator of everything. The everlasting one, the all-knowing one, hair that is white, speaks of wisdom. He's all good, he's all powerful. John sees Jesus, the ancient of days, God above us. And John sees Jesus, the son of man, the son of God who became like us that we might become like him, sons of God. Jesus is God above us, the ancient of days, and he is God for us, one like a son of man. And then John sees something else. Look at the end of verse 14. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. During the Old Testament, blazing fire are the eyes of judgment. So Isaiah 66, verse 15, it'll be on the screen, we read, See, the Lord is coming with fire, and his chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all peoples. Jesus is God above us. We cannot sway him. We cannot bribe him. We cannot stop him pursuing righteousness and goodness and justice. All that is wrong and corrupt and evil in this world will one day be swept away by the judgment of Christ. His eyes blaze with justice. He is God above us. But he is also Jesus, God for us. One of the interesting things I discovered reading this this week is that one of the Old Testament passages that that, that Revelation 1 is is kind of riffing off, picking up on, comes from the book of of Song of Songs. Do you know Song of Songs? It's a book that recounts the deep love that that, that a bride and a bridegroom have for each other. It's a pure, beautiful, enraptured love. And as you read the book, it tells us something of God's love his people. But in chapter 5 of Song of Songs, the bride paints this picture of her bridegroom and it follows the same pattern that we have here in Revelation chapter 1. Printed on your sheets, you don't have to look at it all now, but you'll see what the pattern is. The bride starts with the head and works her way down to the toes and then finishes with the face. You look at Revelation 1 verses 12 to 16 and it's the same. The description of Jesus moves from the head down to his feet and then back to his mouth, the face. You see, when John looks at Jesus, yes, he sees God, the Ancient of Days, the vision that Daniel had in Daniel chapter 7, but he also sees God, the Bridegroom from Song of Songs, in love with his bride, the church. And listen to how that love is described in Song of Songs. It'll be on the screen Chapter 8, verse 6. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave, it burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. The bridegroom's love blazes like fire. What is blazing fire in the Old Testament? It is the Lord's pursuit of justice, and it is the Lord's passionate love for his people. Jesus is God above us. His eyes blaze with justice. And Jesus is God for us. His eyes burning with love for his people. And one final way in which Jesus is God above us and God for us in this vision. It's verse 16. In his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. So Jesus, again, is God above us. He is the mighty warrior with a sword coming out of his mouth, a sharp sword, double-edged. So double the threat, double the potency, double the danger for his enemies. And as warrior, this Jesus is unstoppable. The sword comes from his mouth because the weapon he uses is his words, words that can bring life but also words that can destroy and devastate and and overcome. And nothing, nothing can silence this word warrior. Verse 15, his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. The crashing of waves, the thundering of a waterfall, that is Jesus' voice. That's his double-edged sword. When we go to North Wales to see Laura's family, there's a walk we, we enjoy doing uh, with the kids, and, and, and you kind of walk up this, this little valley, and you get to the end, and there's a waterfall. Uh, and you get close to that waterfall, especially when it's in flood. Uh, and the, the noise is, is immense. You know, the children are right there next to me, and you can't hear a word they're saying. And if you know our children, it's actually a really pleasant moment. You know, finally, their, their voices are drowned out. Well, that's Jesus' voice. That, that's Jesus' words. He drowns out every other voice. It's like a double edged sword. Nothing will stop him. Nothing will silence him. He is God above us, the mighty warrior, accomplishing everything he wants. But Jesus is also God for us, because look what he's holding in his right hand. Verse 16. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. To be at someone's right hand is to be in the place of favor. The seven stars, we're told, are the representatives of the seven churches. Jesus the warrior is also Jesus the defender. He holds his churches in his right hand to protect them and keep them and secure them. Jesus is God above us, the warrior, unstoppable as he hunts down evil and all that oppose him. And Jesus is God for us, the defender, who holds his churches in his right hand, securing them against all attack. A few years back, there was, um, was quite a few years now, there was a terrorist attack in the London Bridge area of London, and attackers were armed with knives and they were chasing people who were enjoying a kind of a night out. I think it was a Saturday evening. And in the news reports afterwards, I remember reading about um, one, one guy stood out to me, he was a skateboarder. And, and he kind of skated over uh, to, to a woman who was bleeding. He gave her help. He wanted to look after her. But then moments later, the attackers came back. And he picked up his skateboard, and he ran after the attackers, and he started whacking them with his skateboard, chasing them away. See, it's those two stances, isn't it? He's a defender. He's protecting the woman. But then fierce and strong as a warrior towards the enemy. That is Jesus. God above us the unstoppable warrior with his double-edged sword, his word, his will, his commands, his judgments, they will all prevail. Every other voice will be drowned out by his. And Jesus is God for us, our defender, the one who holds us in his right hand. Sunday by Sunday, this Jesus comes amongst us to keep us faithfully enduring, And just as we close, look what happens when you encounter this Jesus. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. What happens when you see Jesus in all his blazing glory, God above us, God for us, you die. Or at least you fall at his feet as though dead. And you know, that should be something of our experience as we gather Sunday by Sunday, as Jesus comes amongst us. We should have that sense of his majesty and splendor as the scriptures are read and preached, as we sing and pray and listen, we are reminded again of his glory, his face shining brightly like the sun. He is God above us. And so like John, we fall down before him. We confess our failure to love him and love others. We repent. We die to our old selves. Our self-importance dies before this Jesus. Our pride and self-love and disbelief and grumbling, it dies before this Jesus. But then look what happens, verse 17. Then Jesus placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus reaches out to John and he touches him with his right hand, the hand of favor, the hand that touched so many others in the gospel and brought healing. And cleansing to those that he touched. A new life. Jesus reaches out and touches John and says, Do not be afraid. I am for you. He says the same to us Sunday by Sunday. If only we would hear. Only we would listen. Do not be afraid. I am for you. I have cleansed you. And forgiven you and made you my own. I have died for you. My blazing love means that I let the blazing justice of God fall on me at the cross. And I have overcome death for you. I am the living one who holds the keys of death and hell. We are caught in the middle. Between Rome and Jerusalem. Between compromise and apostasy. And we must patiently endure, not moving to the right nor the left. Opposition, temptation, threat, loss, exclusion, deprivation, hatred, we must endure all of it. And then the next day get up and do it all again. How? This is how. We gather to worship Sunday by Sunday. We sing together. We hear the scriptures read together. We pray together. We confess our sin together. We hear Jesus speak to us by his spirit together. He comes amongst us, shining in the brilliance of his glory. God above us and God for us. The ancient of days and the son of man. Eyes blazing with justice and eyes burning with love. Our warrior and our defender. And Sunday by Sunday we fall before this Jesus. In some ways we die before this Jesus. Our sin and disbelief and pride. And then he raises us up. The living one gives us new life. He sends us out again again to faithfully endure for him, for his glory, that we might make it to that kingdom. Fighting off temptation to compromise and the temptation to apostatize. That is how we do it, Sunday by Sunday. A moment of quiet and then we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that too often our expectation of who you are and what you might do and what we are doing when we gather Sunday by Sunday is so, so small. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you would give us this deep sense of the power and the significance of what we do when we gather together, that your Son, the Lord Jesus, comes amongst us, He reveals himself to us. Father, please fill our hearts and our minds with a greater appreciation and love and awe of your Son. Fill us therefore with courage, with strength to endure. That we might move neither to the left nor the right, but faithfully endure all things for Christ's sake. And by his power and strength. And we pray this in his name. Amen.